0: Continuing with the different series this morning, you can follow along on Version, a free app for your phone or mobile device. You can open up the bulletin, follow along in there, or just open up your Bible to First Peter chapter 2. I want to begin with a true story. This is from the 1800s. There was a court case in the Midwest in Chicago. Uh, It got nationwide attention at the time. It was called The Reaper Case, and it wasn't maybe what you think it is. It was about um, copyright infringements on certain kinds of farm implements, reapers. Um, They had been developed by a fellow named Cyrus McCormick. Um, The stakes were so high that all the big-shot lawyers from the East came out to try the case since the judge was from Illinois and the case was being tried in Illinois, it was thought wise to uh, network with their friends and contacts in the mid- Midwest and find a local lawyer who might become part of this, essentially a dream team. And so that's what they did. They worked through the networks. They found an obscure small-town lawyer who could be part of their high-powered team. When these all-star lawyers finally met their, their junior a partner there. Frankly, they were not impressed. Not impressed at all. He was poorly dressed. He was disheveled. He had a small-town accent and basically just looked and acted like a hayseed. Okay? One of the lead lawyers on the team was a fellow named Edwin Stanton. You may have heard his name. He was actually the minister of war, or the uh, Secretary of War during the Civil War, a pretty important uh, leader in that part of our country's history. Well, he was leading this team. And over the weeks that followed, as they prepared for the trial, they essentially sidelined the local talent, the hayseed. Uh, They didn't invite him to go to dinner with them. He wasn't in a lot of their meetings. Even at court trial dates, they would intentionally give him the wrong time to show up so he wouldn't be there for some of these dates. Um, They saw him as a real lightweight, really essentially as a liability. Well the Stanton team won the case and Edwin Stanton went on to be nationally known Uh, in the legal community and in politics, as I mentioned before. But guess what? Stanton's boss during the Civil War was none other than that very same Hayseed lawyer he had ridiculed years earlier, President Abraham Lincoln. In fact, he called during the trial years earlier, he called Abraham Lincoln an ape. Well, I like that story. It's an underdog story. And who doesn't like Abraham Lincoln, right? A few weeks ago, we started this different series, different because normal isn't working. And one thing I like about that story is because it gives us a glimpse of Abraham Lincoln. Before he was Abraham Lincoln. I mean, before he was the Abraham Lincoln. It gives us a glimpse of this man before he became the person that all history has come to admire. Lincoln, I think you could say, was different. He didn't fit in. He wasn't what they thought He should look like he didn't talk like they thought he should talk like he wasn't what they thought was the model of of a successful and effective lawyer and you've probably heard before you know the stories and and they're true mostly of all of his failures in politics and in life in many respects before he became president of the United States Essentially, Abraham Lincoln's journey took him from obscurity to having his, his face carved on Mount Rushmore. Um, the growth process took him from, royal, from rural Illinois to leading the nation at perhaps our greatest hour of need during the Civil War. This morning we'll dive into a passage from Lincoln's favorite book, the Bible. In fact, Abraham Lincoln said of the Bible one time, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good of the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. So we'll, we'll look at a chapter from his favorite book this morning, and our text has everything to do with growing, with the fact that who you are today is not who God intends for you to be. It is not who you are becoming by the Spirit of God. The core identity we have in Christ is something we have received, but it is something we are at the same time working out and growing up into. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The word of the Lord. So get rid of all evil behavior... Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, you are You are coming to God, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple, to Christ rather. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. You are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust Him recognize the honor God has given Him, but those who reject Him, quoting from an Old Testament prophecy, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and He is the stone that makes people stumble the rock that makes them fall they stumble because they do not obey God's word and so they meet the fate that was planned for them ah but you are not like that for you are a chosen people you are royal priests a holy nation God's very own possession as a result you can show others the goodness of God For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. I love that passage. One of the things I love about it, and we'll just hit this real quick before we dig into it some more, is... All of this imaging about who I am, my identity, who we are, our identity. And three things, this is on your outline this morning, three things he says. He says that I am a child of God's family. God is my father, right? Um, I'm his. He chose me. He adopted me into his family. He loves me. I am precious to him. I'm God's child. He tells me that I am a stone in God's temple. He's putting us together. We are building blocks in this this project, in in this construction work that God is doing in the world, putting us together. He is building something, and he's using me, and he's using you. And I'm a citizen in God's kingdom. I have an eternal citizenship. Forever I belong to God's kingdom. Now, okay, this text I think clearly shows us that we have a great deal in Christ. We possess it, we have been given it, it is ours because of Jesus. I am God's child because of Jesus. I am a stone in God's temple because of Jesus. I am a citizen in God's kingdom. But Peter, in that text, I don't know if you saw this, but he also wants me to see, he wants you to see that while we, while we possess riches in Jesus Christ, he also expects us to grow up into those riches, to inhabit that identity (laughs) that we have been given. So this is on the outline as well. You may have heard these fancy theological words before. Justification, sanctification. Here it is in perhaps simpler terms. Salvation is a gift that is both received. It's a gift that's both received and experienced. Yeah, you receive. You trust Christ. You are baptized in the name of Christ. And at that moment, you receive God's grace, His salvation but you live the rest of your life filling that out, experiencing that, living as one who has been saved, one who has been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Salvation is a beginning point for our growth. Amen? So Peter wants us to see that our salvation, our riches in Christ, include both what we have already been given... And something we are being given. Something we are growing into. In other words, salvation isn't static. It is growth. It is process. It is maturing. Now let's start by what Peter says we already possess in Christ. Just very quickly because we read it already. Look at what we already possess. Verse 3, you have had... A taste of God's goodness. You've had that. Um, he says in verse five, you are living stones that god is building into his spirit what's more you are his holy priest verse nine you are a chosen people you are a royal priest you are a holy nation god's very own possession he has called you from darkness into his wonderful light all that stuff we have verse 10 you are god's people now you have received mercy i have that i possess that those are amazing amazing riches treasures from heaven So the gift of God's salvation, yeah, it's what we already own. It's what we already have, but it involves a process as well. It involves what we are to become. Imagine, you may not be at this life stage, but you can use your imagination. Imagine, if you will, that you go down to the DMV with your 15-year-old daughter... You wait in line, you get up to the counter, and you turn over the paperwork for a new car title. You are going to have this car title in the name of your daughter. She's standing right there beside you, and you can do that. You could do that tomorrow, no, probably not on Sunday, but you can on Monday. And guess what? That new Honda Accord, or newish Honda Accord, would then be in a real sense, in a legal sense, her car. She is the owner, according to the laws of the state of Texas, of that car, right? But the expectation, right, is that she will grow up into car ownership. She's only 15. In order to fully possess that car, to fully enjoy that car, there's a lot more than having your name on the title. There's driver's ed <laughs> There's hours and hours of causing stress to mom and dad as she's driving you're like Ooh. There's learning to make a left-hand turn in traffic There's learning to drive in reverse There's learning how to safely eat a burrito and drive at the same time There are rules of the road that that she needs to know There are laws that she needs to understand. I think you see where I'm going For her while yes she would own the car as you walk out of the DMV that's just the beginning right? I mean the adventure starts when she begins to drive and if she never learned to drive possessing that Very expensive gift for a 15 year old If she never learned to drive, what a shame that would be What a waste that would be Salvation So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ You're saved If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ Your sins have been washed away his righteousness, as, as Bob alluded to earlier, credited to your account as if it is your righteousness. You're rich in Christ. You didn't do anything to deserve it, you didn't buy it, but it's been given to you. And it's unfortunate, I think, however, that so much emphasis gets put on the moment of salvation. It's unfortunate uh, because that moment of trusting Christ. It's just the beginning. Salvation involves a journey from that point forward. So let's think about that text again. We've already seen Peter has shown us what we already possess in Christ. Peter also wants us to learn. Peter also wants us to, to inhabit, to fully experience this gift. we've been He wants us to grow into that. He wants us to, you know, the title, our, our soul belongs to God. We belong to Him, free and clear. Now grow up into that. Verse 1, so a few of these. A few of these growth words in this text. He says, so, so get rid of all evil behavior, verse 1. Verse 1, so... Crave Pure spiritual milk Verse 1 So that you will what? Grow into a full experience of salvation Verse 1 So that you will cry out for this nourishment And then I don't think I have a slide for these But verse 4 says You are He's talking to baptized believers here He says you are Verse 4 You are coming to Christ He says in verse 9 To show the goodness of God to others. So we receive it, and then we, we live it out. We live it out. It's a process. Jesus has saved you. Peter says that's the beginning. As believers, there's a journey in front. There's an identity to live out of. Uh, a journey to mature as God's child. You know, Abraham Lincoln, look, he had the exact same DNA. When he was a hayseed lawyer in Illinois... As he did when he was the Abraham Lincoln, right? He had the same DNA, but he grew into it. <laughs> he grew into his potential. He grew into becoming one of the greatest leaders our nation has ever known. A 15-year-old can, can technically, legally, really can own a car, but she's going to need to grow into fully possessing that into fully inhabiting that, what it looks like to own a car. Good news here. Good news here. Peter actually, he's going to give us some direction in this text on how this growth process works. He shares with us how we can grow into the identity that has already been given us. So for starters, I love this. This is so important and so neglected, I think. For starters, he tells us there needs to be a colossal, craving, a thirst, a hunger, a desire, a yearning, growing closer to Christ. It doesn't satisfy my appetite for him. It wets it. The closer I get to Jesus, the hungrier I am for Jesus. He says in verse 2, crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. He says, cry out. For this nourishment. And he's writing, like I said, to believers here. These are not unchurched people. These are not not people who don't know Jesus. Uh, The fact that he tells them, he instructs them to crave growth tells us that A, that A, they need to... It's not a given that they will desire growth. It's not a given. And B, that they will mature, it's not a given that they will mature into a full salvation experience. That's why he instructs them, crave it. Um, makes sense, of course it makes sense, because everybody knows, if you're a believer and you've been a believer for a amount of time, everybody knows someone who joyfully and eagerly, like that parable of the sower and the seed, they received the word and it sprouted up, and they were so happy and they were so joyful, I'm a Christian now, I'm saved... But there was no yearning to grow. There wasn't that persistent hunger to grow in discipleship. And so they just kind of fell away. It didn't take root. It takes hunger. It takes desire. It takes yearning. Peter says, cry out for it. A lot of folks grow up um, thinking, for Christians, desire is bad. Desire's a bad thing. Um, our desires are too strong. They're, they're dangerous. Peter says your desires are too weak. You need to crave more. You need to get more hungry, folks, he says. It, it's a question, really, of normal versus difference. Normal is, you know what normal is, I know what normal is. Normal is chasing after. It's being hungry for attention, for applause, for affirmation, for you know, achievement. Normal is being hungry for money. Normal is being hungry for comfort. Normal is putting myself at the center of the universe, essentially the religion of me. That is normal. That's what normal looks like. As a Christian, Peter says, I've gotten a taste of something much better. I've tasted God's goodness. And it makes me hungry for more. We should have stronger desires, not weaker desires. I crave more of God. As a believer, I crave more of God. I crave more from marriage as a believer of Jesus Christ, not less. As a believer, I crave more than disposable relationships that the culture is totally content with. As a believer, I crave more from money. I don't crave money more. I crave more from money. It's not enough. It's too tepid. It's too mediocre. It's too eh, meh, (laughs) meh to simply hoard money for myself. As a believer, I want to use money. I want to leverage it to bless others to see money used in redemptive ways Jesus said blessed remember this blessed are those who hunger and thirst for more for righteousness it's a blessing to crave more Jesus says it's a blessing to desire more than the baubles and trifles of this world. Now, we've received God's grace. We've tasted, Peter says, tasted God's goodness. So we want more. And that's the way hunger works. When you taste something amazing, it's not like, whoo, that was great, I'm done. It's like, man, give me a heaping of that, baby. That stuff is great. It's not like, oh, taste satisfied, done. No, not if it's good. Not if it's good. Taste doesn't satisfy. Taste does the opposite. And Peter says, be thirsty, my friends. Peter says, crave more of Christ. And that is a key part of what helps me grow up into my salvation. Second thing is this. It's a conscious cleanup. It's a conscious Clean up. There's stuff in my life as a believer, as a Christian, as one who is saved. There's stuff that needs to be dealt with. There are negative thoughts and sinful habits that I must take responsibility for changing. Yes, the Holy Spirit will help me. Yes, I've been forgiven of my sins. But there are thoughts and behaviors that need to be dealt with. He says in verse 1, so put away, just put it away. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Put it away. Set it down. The Greek there is saying just let go of that. Um, you could read this and think, you know, okay, that's where it gets hard. Ooh, that's tough right there. Putting that stuff away. Ah, uh, Really? Really? That sounds hard, putting away malice, putting away slander, putting away hypocrisy, putting away envy, that's hard. I don't think it is. I think that's a lie that we buy into sometimes. It would be hard if Peter is saying, here's some really awesome, amazing stuff that you just love, that is just making your life a, a paradise, I need you to put that away. But that's not what Peter's saying, is he? Peter is asking us to put away stuff that is hard to carry. Set it down. He's telling us to put away stuff that is negative, stuff that is hurtful and harmful to us and people we love. That's not a burden. That's a blessing. Part of experiencing salvation, part of tasting God's goodness, is I realize just how lousy that other stuff is, really. I mean, just how lousy that sinful stuff is. I recognize how it takes, how it robs, how it steals and destroys and diminishes. I realize how those thought patterns have wrecked my life, and I set them aside so I can have more Jesus, so I can have more abundance, so I can have more joy, so I can have better relationships. I mean, which of these, honestly, just answer for yourself in your head there. Which of these, honestly, <laughs> blesses your life and brings you more joy? Is it, would it be the malice? Is it the slander? Is it that hypocrisy? Which of those is something that's hard to set down? None of them makes us more joyful. None of them helps us grow. So put them away. Confess your sin. That's part of it. It's finding a mature Christian sister or brother, confessing, asking them to pray over you, pray with you and accompany you on your journey so you can taste more of Jesus and less of the junk. But the transformation, it's not just in here. It's not just inside of me. This is not just an inner journey. Um, It is inside out. It's inside, out. It's behavior. It's speech. It's how I treat people. Part of growing and maturing in Christ, part of, part of being saved, part of fully experiencing that involves living it out loud, right? And so the third thing, the final thing there on the outline is this. It's the calling, Peter says. It's the calling that we have in Christ. You've been saved. You have a calling now. You have a calling I will share my story, telling others what Jesus has done and is doing in my life. He says in verses 9 and 10, this is from the message, so it sounds perhaps a little different from your translation. He says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work, and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Tell your story. Be God's instrument. That's your calling. Powerful stuff. Um, I wasn't just saved. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I wasn't just saved from something. I was saved for something. So what has God done for you? What has God done in your life? What is he doing right now? How does it feel to be a believer, to put your trust in the grace that Jesus poured out on you? How does it feel to know that you've gone from nothing to something, rejected to have accepted? Share it, Peter says. Find someone around you, share it. Find someone else and share it. Share your story. Share it because that is what you were saved for. In those verses we read, Peter says, you were saved for the high calling of priestly work that is helping people and God come together. You were saved to be his chosen instrument. You were saved to do his work. You were saved to speak out for him. (sighs) What a pity it would be, wouldn't it, if your daughter, who had that title of that car and had those car keys to that new car what a pity if she never actually learned to drive what a pity if that beautiful machine just sat out there at the curb all alone week after week year after year what a waste what a waste it would have been if Abraham Lincoln had never stretched himself, had never grown into the leader that the country needed him to be, what a shame it would be if somebody joyfully, eagerly received Jesus Christ, salvation from God, and they just parked it out front, never grew in to the person that God called them to be, that God saved them to be, that God has equipped them to be, if they never developed into the righteousness, into the power, into the love, into the goodness that Jesus gave them. What a shame that would be. If you'll indulge me a little bit, let me brag a little bit, not on myself, but I got to drive up with my family to Emporia, Kansas a few days ago. My sister Allison is the new president, the 17th president of Emporia State University. So we got to go up there for her inauguration. She started working in January, but planning all this stuff is a big deal. And so it was, it was cool. It was special. A lot of different things happened. But, you know, the big main event there, um, all of these professors and visiting dignitaries, Dignitaries in these kind of some of them strange looking but really royal looking academic gowns and and the hat the funny hats and all that stuff and and this guy comes in before Allison holding the mace like this official scepter of the college that's a thing uh, that colleges have and then and then uh, the, this united states senator from kansas gives a speech the chairman uh zoe of the uh her name is zoe from the the chairman of the kansas board of regents gives a little speech and then allison gives a speech and and then that that medallion of the college is placed around her and it's got her name on there along with the other 17 it was really 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 cool it was awesome and everyone knew walking out of there she is the president It's hers. The title is hers. The rights and privileges are hers. So is she done now? Is it time to kick her feet up on the desk and work on her solitaire game hour after hour? Got what she's always wanted, and she's done now. How silly that idea would be, right? Her work has just begun. And while she is, and I love my sister, and I admire my sister, and while she is the new president of that university, it's time for her to become the president of that university. To grow and develop into that. And while you have been saved by the riches of God's grace, Peter says, great, Grow up into that. Become that person who God has announced you to be in Jesus Christ. If you need to accept God's grace this morning and begin your journey with the Lord, you can do that trusting in the name of Jesus, being baptized into the riches of His grace. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. What I want to do before we stand and sing, John Scott, I want us just to bow our heads And I want us to pray as we enter into this time of worship and reflection. Lord God, we come this morning humbled and grateful at the extravagant gift that we have received in Jesus Christ. Eternal salvation. The riches of heaven the freedom, the forgiveness, the future we have in your kingdom that makes us so grateful. And may we, Lord, have such a hunger, such a craving for more and more of you that we are never satisfied by what's normal, by the mediocrity and the values of the culture around us. May your spirit help us to grow up into that gift, to inhabit, to experience that salvation, to grow up into our truest selves, the blood-bought chosen people, the royal priesthood, the children of God, who you have announced us to be. We pray this in the holy name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's be standing and singing together.